Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. The teach in his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out all the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Good evening, my name is Chrissy. Our second Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations." 
He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chrissy, and uh, welcome back from long service leave, Chrissy. Nice to see you. Uh, welcome back. Also, Sarah Mel is back from the UK, wherever Sarah is. Good to have you back. Um, we are congratulating, is Josh and Tash, are they in the room tonight? Josh and Tash got engaged a couple weeks ago. Congratulations to you guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Um, delighted for you guys. Um, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 3 that says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of, in the, name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving glory to your Father through him. So that's our prayer for your, your marriage, that whatever you do in your marriage would give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, pray also for Jonty. Um, Jonty had his appendix removed uh, last night, but it was also COVID positive, so <laughs> double whammy for him. Uh, if you're watching online, Jonty, we miss you. Uh, I'm going to pray first now as we come to God's word. Uh, Father, thank you for this life-giving word. Thank you, Father, that... Uh, you promise that your word will not return empty. And so we claim that promise and we come expectant tonight that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, we want to be challenged. We want our hearts to reflect your heart. Uh, if we need to be unsettled, would you do that? If we need to be comforted, would you do that? Uh, Spirit of God, we invite you now to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love this quote. There are no worthless people to Jesus. There are no worthless people to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? There are no worthless people to Jesus. So all the people that our society just writes off as being worthless, all the people that our church, sadly, can discard as being less valuable, our Lord Jesus cares and loves them and cherishes them because there's no worthless people. Think of my friend Jean, who is profoundly disabled. She's not worthless. My friend Ian, who's in late-stage dementia and can't feed, clothe, or toilet himself, he's not worthless in God's sight. Uh, Sue, who, Sue, who has three jobs just to pay the mortgage and feed her three kids, She's not worthless. Keith, who's your average Aussie bloke, who's got zero academic qualifications, he's not significant in the eyes of the world, but he's not worthless in the eyes of Jesus. People here in this room today who are struggling with addictions, you're not worthless. Struggling with mental health, you're not worthless. Feeling alone, you're not worthless. Maybe you are struggling spiritually and you're, you're holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ by the, the thinnest of threads. You're not worthless. Maybe you're here feeling discouraged, disillusioned, doubting. You're not worthless. Because every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is created in the image of God and, and God doesn't create worthless things. 
Uh, trust me, you may feel worthless. People might make you feel worthless. Church might make you feel worthless. You may feel weary, battered, insignificant, abandoned, alone. But in God's eyes, you are worth something. The Lord Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He wants to carry you. That's his heart. The heart of our Lord Jesus Christ is to care for the people that our world tends to see as worthless. Uh, we've seen that throughout Matthew's gospel. Remember Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, this group of people before him, he, he had compassion on them. And that word compassion means that he had this, this gut-wrenching in the pit of his stomach, longing just to help these poor people because they were harassed and helpless. They were burdened. They were broken like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus. Or chapter 11, he invites everyone, come to me, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, everyone who is weighed down by, by sin and by suffering and by religion. Everyone's just exhausted by life. Come to Jesus, he says, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's the heart of Jesus. And if you know Matthew's gospel, the last few weeks, he's met all these people I mean, he met the, the leper in chapter 8 and he touched him because he wasn't worthless. He healed the centurion's son. He healed the demon-possessed men because they weren't worthless. He, he saw that paralyzed man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. He wasn't worthless. To the woman who was bleeding, outcast by society, he said, he's beautiful as daughter, your, your faith has healed you because she wasn't worthless. He healed the blind and the, the mute. He raised the dead. Here in chapter 12, there's a man with a, a shriveled hand who, who no doubt felt worthless, but, but Jesus loved him. So here's my fear. I, I fear that we have turned Christianity into this upper-class, intellectual, almost pharisaical religion. <laughs> I feel that we've turned church into this club where you have to look a certain way, live a certain lifestyle, obey certain rules to, to really belong here. Now, but by the way that we do things, that the people that we embrace, the choices we make, the comments we make, we, we subtly communicate that the people that Jesus really loves are the significant people or the super spiritual people. And sadly, we as a church can make people feel worthless. We look down on people, we judge people, we condemn people. We have all these rules and these rituals and these unspoken evangelical expectations. And if people see things slightly differently and don't fit into our theological grid, we are quick to condemn and make them feel they don't belong. We can be like the Pharisees here at church. No strutting around, feeling important, quoting scripture, but treating people poorly. Making people who are created in the image of God feeling like they don't belong. 
It's like the difference between um, chess and checkers. If you play the game of chess, in a game of chess, there are different pieces. And, and let's be honest that some pieces in chess are more valuable than others. That's why you don't give up your queen easily. But in checkers, every piece is, is identical. They all move the same and they all look the same and they all have the same value. And that's how Jesus sees people, like, like checkers, not like chess. Everyone is valuable. Everyone's important. Everyone is significant to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no worthless people. So we're in chapter 12 of Matthew, and it's a, a, a really a chapter about the heart of Jesus. The, the one that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 42 is quoted here in verse 18. It says this, Jesus, here is my servant, Jesus, my servant, the one who, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the Lord Jesus whom, who God has chosen, set apart, the one that is loved by God with a, a lavish, selfless love, the one in whom God delights, the one in whom God put his spirit upon him to equip and empower him for, for ministry, and the one who proclaims justice, what is right and good and just to all people. This is the Lord Jesus Christ we're talking about. And the question tonight is, what is the heart of Jesus? The heart of Jesus is contrasted with the heart of these Pharisees. And Jesus is gentle and humble, and the Pharisees are harsh and proud and judgmental. So let's look at the heart of Jesus. It's a heart of mercy, a heart of mercy. Do you spot that in verse 7? Jesus says to these Pharisees, if you'd know what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, says God. It is a quote from the, the book Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and it's all about God's heart. And God's heart is not for sacrifice, not for rituals, not for rule keepings. It's about a relationship with God, a relationship marked by mercy. That's what God longs for, that for you to know the mercy of God, for you to experience the mercy of God. Remember the, the, the woman, the mother who approached Napoleon seeking pardon for her son? And Napoleon replied with this, no, no. He's committed the same offence twice, so, so justice demands death. And she says this, I, I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy. And Napoleon said, well, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother says, well, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And I hope you realise that with your relationship with God, you don't deserve mercy. But mercy is what God offers you. God offers you this, this forgiveness that you don't deserve, this love that you cannot earn. He doesn't treat it as our sins deserve. That's why Jesus came, to, to lavish you with mercy. And when you've experienced the mercy of God, then you're expected to show mercy to others. If you've grasped how merciful God has been to you, then then we must stop looking down on people and judging people and condemning people and making them feel worthless. So let's read from the top, verse 1. Uh, at that time, Jesus went through the, the grain fields on the Sabbath. That word Sabbath, it just means to cease or to stop or to rest. And so the Sabbath was this, this day that God has set aside, one day in seven where you stopped and you ceased. 
And it reminded you that, that life is not all about work. It's about a relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ. It's that one day when you stop and you rest and you're refreshed physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. It's this beautiful day that God sets aside for you to enjoy Jesus. So the Sabbath is a good thing, but it's not legalistic. Uh, verse 1 again, the, the disciples, the disciples of Jesus were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And to be clear, they're not stealing, they're just what's called gleaning. Uh, gleaning is when the field owners would leave some grain for the poor, for the poor to wander through their fields and just to pluck whatever food they needed because they were hungry. And that's the disciples, they're hungry because they're poor. I hope you've realized that, that Jesus' disciples were poor. They weren't wealthy, they weren't significant, they'd left everything to follow Jesus. They were poor. And God in his mercy had given this beautiful law in Deuteronomy 23 where he cares for the poor, he cares for the needy, he cares for the marginalized. That's his heart. And God's good law allowed poor people to walk through a field and pluck the corn and to feed themselves because they were hungry. That's the heart of God, a heart of mercy. But Pharisees are hard, judgmental, self-righteous. Here's what the Pharisees did with those good Sabbath laws. They took something that was beautiful like a Sabbath and they made it burdensome. They created all these extra laws, these extra rules, all these things that you couldn't, couldn't do on the Sabbath. And rather than enjoying the Sabbath, it became a burden. You couldn't sow, you couldn't plough, you couldn't reap, you couldn't bake, you couldn't write, you couldn't tie knots, you couldn't carry objects, you couldn't light fires, and it was exhausting. And that's what religion does. It puts all these burdens and these rules and these rituals, and it's exhausting and it's joyless. Verse 2, when the Pharisees saw that the disciples were picking corn on the Sabbath, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. You can imagine where they said that, on the Sabbath. Because in their mind, plucking a corn was, was working, and they say, you are lawbreakers. They're not. God's Sabbath commandments allow them to do it, but, but they've created all these rules, all these man-made rules, and they're quick to judge. And we can be good at that. And God's word clearly says, don't get drunk, but we are good at twisting that to say that you must never drink. God's word clearly says that you are to serve the Lord, but we're good at twisting that and making people feel really, really guilty if they're not serving hard enough. God's word clearly says, give generously, but we are good at twisting that and making people feel guilty that they're not tithing enough. And we give this crazy you're blessed according to your tithe. If you've experienced a church where there's all these man-made rules, all these non-negotiables, and there's a twisting of God's word, and you feel constantly guilty, I'm really sorry for that. I went to a church once where I felt condemned all the time. I didn't go to the right school, apparently. I didn't dress rightly. I was told who I could and couldn't date. I was rebuked publicly for wanting to do evangelism to the poor and needy rather than join a Bible study. Uh, 
it was so exhausting and oppressive. Now, now Jesus could have said, oh, sorry to offend you, we'll be on our way. But he doesn't do that. He actually rebukes the Pharisees for not showing mercy. At verse 3, I love verse 3, he's kind of biting in his sarcasm. He says, haven't you read what David did? I mean, don't you know your Old Testament? You claim to be these biblical scholars. You, you claim to have this, this good grasp on the word. But don't you understand what the Bible says? In 1 Samuel 20 and 21 and 22, that, that great story when David and his companions were hungry, verse 3, and, and David entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was unlawful. There's a great cracking read where David goes to the house of God because he's fleeing from Saul and, and he says, we're hungry. And the priest said, well, we haven't got any bread for you. But there is bread there. There's the consecrated bread, the, the bread of the presence, the show bread that's set aside for the priest. So what are you going to do there? You're face to face with hungry people and you've got bread, but it's consecrated to the Lord. What are you going to do? Of course you're going to feed the hungry people. Because mercy trumps rules and regulations, doesn't it? Well, verse 5, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Think about these priests who, who work on the Sabbath. There they are in the temple on the Sabbath, lighting fires and lifting animals and serving day and night. Are they Sabbath breakers? No. Because they're helping people. They're serving the law. They're showing mercy. Same as me. I work, I work every single Sunday. I'm a, I'm a Sabbath breaker. Of course I'm not. Serving God and his people. Verse 6, I, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here because Jesus has come. So it's not about us bringing some animal sacrifice to atone for your sins because Jesus atones for your sins. It's not about keeping rules and, and rituals for forgiveness because Jesus has come. Please don't put burdens on people to think they need to earn their salvation because Jesus has come. God said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And if we have received mercy, we must show mercy to all kinds of people. I was thinking, we can be quite pharisaical at church, can't we? You know, the pastor who says, I'm really sorry, I can't go and meet with a dying man because it's my day off. That is pharisaical. Now, the, the Christian who says to their best friend who's not a Christian who chooses to get married on a Sunday, I'm really sorry I can't come to your wedding because on a Sunday, that, that's pharisaical. Or let's bring it a bit more personal, a bit more close to home. As you walk to church tonight and you see a brother or sister in need, an emotional need, a physical need, a financial need, and you just do the classic, I'll pray for you, and strut into church, but you don't bother to really care. That's pharisaical. Now, if the Pharisees had understood mercy, verse 7, he says, you would not have condemned the innocent. You wouldn't have judged these disciples and stopped them from receiving their food. And sadly, we can be good at that, pointing out the fault in other people, finding ways to criticize and condemn and pulling people up on a lifestyle issue in a way that condemns them rather than points them to Jesus. It makes me weep. It makes me weep. There's a truckload of people out there who have been put off from Christianity and they're not in church today because they never experienced mercy. All they experienced was condemnation. 
that is you tonight, I want to say sorry, and I'm, I'm so glad you, you're here again tonight. Uh, verse 8, for the Son of Man, that is Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. It's a stunning claim for divinity. He is the anointed king. He is Lord. And what he's saying is that I am the one in, in whom you find your rest. I am the one that you come to for, for provision and protection and peace. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with me. People often say to me, oh, Paul, I'm not like you. I'm not religious like you. And I also say to them, well, I'm not religious either. I hate religion. Religion is awful. It's suppressive. It's exhausting because religion says that you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to go to church and you have to read your Bible and you have to say your prayers and that's utterly, utterly exhausting. I'm not religious. I've got a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to him and found my rest in him. He is the one who showed me mercy and I love Jesus. And when you love Jesus, you don't have to do anything. But you get to do it and you want to do it. I want to come to church and I want to read my Bible and I want to say my prayers because I love Jesus. There's a world of difference between religion and relationship with Jesus. Because religion is all about condemning and judging and looking down on people and making people feel guilty. But a relationship with Jesus is about freedom and joy and peace. I don't mishear me. A Sabbath is still a really good thing. It's really good to take a day where you stop and you rest. Have that breathing space to enjoy Jesus. I don't think we're very good at that here in Sydney. We just tag on a bit of church on a Sunday. It is good for us to keep coming to Jesus. But let's not be legalistic. So God's heart is one of mercy. God's heart is one of goodness. Goodness, he's not harsh, he's not heartless, he's, he's good. See that in verse 12, a beautiful verse, Jesus says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on a Sabbath. Of course it is. If you see a need, meet it. If you see someone in need for goodness sake, stop and help them. Regardless of whatever day it is. Because God's heart is to pour goodness on people in need. And you've got a very good example here of the man with the shriveled hand. Verse 9, going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, their place of worship, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Again, so you grasp this, it's a man whose hand had literally dried up, the fluid had drained from it, so his hand would just sort of lie limp. And in those days, if you had any kind of disabilities, you were a nobody. You were useless. You were worthless. And I'm guessing this man had been told every single day of his life that he was worthless. And the Pharisees are there again in verse 10, and they're, they're looking for a reason to, to trap Jesus, to bring charges against him. They, they know that he will, he will heal this man. I don't even know whether they planted this man in the synagogue to really test him. And they asked Jesus the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What a stupid question. Of course it is. If someone is in need, of course you heal them, regardless of whatever day it is. And Jesus does what he often does. He says to them, verse 11, if, if one of you has a sheep and your sheep, your precious sheep, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, 
We don't take hold of it and lift it out. Think about it. Are you really going to leave your precious sheep to die in a pit just because it's a Sabbath? No, you're going to lift it out and you're going to do work on the Sabbath. And if you do that for sheep, why would you not do it for people? Verse 12, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Of course people are more valuable than sheep, aren't they? So what's Jesus going to do? Will he heal this man? Will he work on the Sabbath? Uh, He could have done a private healing. He could have waited one more day. I'm assuming this man has had a shriveled hand for a very long time and one day will make no difference. No, he chooses to heal publicly to make a point. He says to the man, verse 13, stretch out your hand. And notice there that Jesus doesn't touch the man He doesn't reach out to the man. So strictly speaking, Jesus did not break any of those pathetic pharisaical rules. He didn't do any work. He just spoke. And says, stretch out your hand, verse 13. And again, that sounds cruel. It sounds heartless because the man can't stretch out his hand. It's withered. It's it's shriveled. It's cruel unless you have the power to forgive and the power to restore. And miraculously, he stretched it out and it was completely restored, miraculously, utterly as sound as the other hand. But it's the Sabbath. Who cares if it's a Sabbath? He's done good. He's loved someone. He's healed somebody. And the irony of verse 14 is that the Pharisees plot to kill him and in their plotting, they're actually working and they're breaking their own Sabbath rules. So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Of course it is. Because doing good is what we're created for, isn't it? Doing good is a good thing. Doing good trumps any list of rules and regulations. It's good to show compassion. It's good to show kindness. It's good to care. What does God's law say? Love God and love your neighbor. It's a beautiful thing. Look for ways to love people well. Look for opportunities to show kindness and forgiveness and healing because love is greater than legalism. So church, when you see a person in need, for goodness sake, do good towards them. When you hear us on a church, don't leave it to somebody else. Oh, but I'm really tired. I know you are, so am I. Oh, but it would cost me time. Yeah, of course it will. That's what doing good means. Oh, somebody else can do it. Well, why not you? Why can't you do it? Doing good. I'm so excited for next year, the, the year of goodness, where we're going to focus on the goodness of God and doing good to others. But you can do good in our church right now, even tonight. I've got to list the length of my arm of elderly people who would long for a visit. You could do good there. We're holding a Christmas Day lunch here in church for anybody in need this Christmas, and we are desperate for volunteers. You could do good there. Toys and Tucker's on. You could fill a, a bag from Woolworths with groceries. That's not too hard, is it? This is the first year in 15 years. The first year in 15 years we haven't even filled one crate of groceries. Oh, we're quick to just tap a credit card because it doesn't cost us very much. But walking to Woolworths and buying a bag of groceries, you can do that, can't you? We're desperate for volunteers for our Greenway lunch and our aged care carol service. All these people that our world ignores and we get a chance to do good towards them. 
I, I don't know, it's quite perverse. We, we seem to celebrate boundaries rather than sacrifice and selflessness and kindness and goodness. So a heart of mercy and a heart of goodness and a heart of hope. A heart of hope, hope for the hopeless, worth for the worthless, inclusion for the exclusion. Look at verse 21. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the precious name of the one who came to to show us mercy and to pour out his grace for us, in his name, the one who poured out his life for us, in his name, the nations, that is the Gentiles, the people who were not included, the people who were cut off from God, the people the Pharisees looked down on, the people that the Jews called dogs and scum of the earth, the people that were seen as worthless. Those people put their hope, a hope of a future, a hope of a relationship, a hope of restoration. That is the heart of God. I love verse 20. I think verse 20 is the verse that has spoken to me personally the most this week. I don't think I've ever understood it before. Verse 20, a, a bruised reed that Jesus will not break. Reeds are important and they're beautiful. Reeds were used to, for building and for supporting roofs and making instruments. And, and a, a reed is strong and flexible, but a bruised reed, a bruised reed that is weak and is about to snap. Well, that's worthless. Let's just toss it out, shall we? It has no purpose in life. Let's get rid of it, shall we? And Jesus is talking about people here. And he's saying, you may feel weak and not strong, you may feel as though you've got nothing to contribute. You may feel as though you are broken and exhausted. And you may feel as though the church and Christians are going to just write you off and, and, and break you. But, but Jesus won't do that. That is such a comfort to me. That Jesus will never, ever let me go. No matter how fragile and exhausted and weak and bruised I feel. I call this church a hospital for hurting Christians. And I love that, a hospital for hurting Christians. Here tonight you love Jesus but you are broken and you're burdened. You're a bruised reed. You're so welcome here. We expect nothing from you. We expect nothing from you except just to encounter Jesus again. Verse 20. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Isn't that beautiful? A wick is part of the candle that you're supposed to light. And when you light the wick, it's supposed to give light and it's supposed to give heat. But a smouldering wick, well, there's, no, there's not much light and not much heat. It's just this irritating, annoying smoke. And it's useless. It's worthless. So let's just snuff it out, shall we? That's how people treat Christians sometimes when they're no longer on fire for God. When they're not burning on all cylinders and serving as they could or they should, we just snuff them out. But not Jesus. A smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. 
He will carry you. He will care for you. He will fan back into flames that light and that heat again. This is a word if you are here tonight and you are spiritually struggling. If you look back at a time in your life where you were on far for Jesus, but that's not today, that's okay. You're welcome here. See, the thing about religious people, and believe me, I've experienced it, is, is they, find, they find smoldering wicks irritating. They find smoke exhausting and frustrating. They just, just want, to, they want to fix you. And they see you as a burden or they make you feel worthless because you can't contribute to the church like you once did. If you feel like that tonight, I'm really sorry you feel that. Because Jesus still loves you and Jesus still cares for you and he won't snuff you out. What am I saying? I'm just pleading with this church that would you please, please treat people kindly? Be patient. Cry with people, weep with people, be tender, be loving, be sympathetic. Sit with people who do not have it all together. Sit with those bruised reeds and those smoldering wicks because Jesus still loves them. I love what this preacher said. He says, here are the people that Jesus included in this chapter, the people that that most of society wants to throw away. They've been used and abused, but Jesus will not discard them. Who else talked to the woman at the well? Who else saw the widow putting in her too much? Who else would eat with Zacchaeus? Who else would give time to a woman like Mary Magdalene? Those were all people that the world had discarded, the world had no use for, but Jesus did not overlook them. The point is he wasn't like the Pharisees. The Pharisees used people, put burdens on people, browbeat people, threatened people. But that wasn't the heart of Jesus. And I hope it's not your heart either. I think it's a massive, massive lesson for every church, our church and every church. There's a truckload of people out there who don't think that they're welcome in the church. I mean, the whole of the LGBTQI community, they they think that God hates them. Truckload of divorcees who feel condemned by the church. A truckload of addicts People struggling with drink and with sex and greed and liars and illiterate and poor and homeless people. And what's communicated is you have to be a certain type of person to be welcoming God's church. How have we done this? How have we turned a gospel of mercy and a gospel of grace and a gospel of kindness into this religious, condemning, excluding kind of place? Doesn't that break your heart? And it happens here at the Bridge Church. People walk in, new people walk in, and, and they've told me they, they feel almost judged. They're looked up and down, and if they look a certain way and they fit in with the culture here, then we embrace them. But if, if they don't quite fit in, then they feel they don't belong here. And people have left this church because they were these bruised reeds and these smouldering wicks. And we, me, pastors and members, we, we just wrote them off and we, we didn't bother to sit with them and find out what was really going on. We just judged them. And if that is you, I'm really, really sorry we did that. There's no one who's worthless to Jesus. You know that picture in Revelation 7 of 
that last day around the throne from people from every tribe, every nation, and every language. I want to add old and young, disabled and able-bodied, gay and straight, illiterate and literate, every ethnicity, every social economic background, they're all there because the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for every single one of them. And if he loves them, how dare we not love them? See, Jesus' heart is for us, not against us. There are no worthless people. Today is Invitation Sunday. We do this once a quarter where we just take a moment just to stop and to think about your own relationship with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you've thought that you are worthless and you've thought that Jesus doesn't love you. Maybe you've heard tonight that actually Jesus does love you and he, he's poured out his mercy for you. If, you. if you've heard that, I'd love to invite you to give your life to Christ tonight. Maybe you're a Christian and you're that bruised reed or smoldering wick and you just need to remember that, that Jesus will not let you go. Maybe you want to find out more about Jesus. Maybe you've got a comment for, for me or for this church of how we could do things better to make people feel included and welcomed. So I'm going to give you a moment to pick up that card that's on your seat and just give you literally a minute to fill that out. And then we're going to pray a prayer and then take communion together. So I'll give you a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to make this your own, just echo it in your own heart. Dear God, thank you for creating me in your image. Thank you that you say that I am valuable. I have worth. I have dignity. Sorry, Lord, for the ways I've offended you and the ways I've treated other people badly. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy that you show me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. I come to you now to find my rest and my joy and my peace. In Jesus' name.